Good morning, everyone. And I promise I won't mention the football. Oh dear, I just did. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what a shame. I quite like Harry Kane. Uh, he seems a nice guy. I'm not a big football fan, but when I've heard him speak and um, represent his team and his country, he sounds like a good guy. So I felt for him last night when I saw him put his uh, head in his hands after he'd missed a penalty. Um, but there we go. We have a slide, and it's not that one. Could we have the that one? Thank you. Talking of talent in Harry Kane, we're going to talk about something else. Britain's got talents. You'll notice I've put the S on the end, because normally the show is called Britain's Got Talent, but today it's called Britain's Got Talents. And the subtitle is, but what are they? So what I want to do today is explore the parable of the talents. And I already know that if you're a Christian, and if you've been in church world for a long time, you're groaning inwardly, because you've heard the parable of the talents a million times. And if you're new to the church, don't worry, because what we're about to talk about isn't quite so discouraging as perhaps some of the oldest might think it is. So why do I want to talk about the parable of the talents today? Well, it, if you read it, it talks about a man going away, leaving his servants in charge of a lot of money, and asking them to do something with that so that he gets a return on it in the end. One of those servants doesn't do a very good job and basically gets caned for the, uh, for the poor results that he delivers. And the traditional sense is that, you know, the parable of the talents is all about Christ going to heaven, if you will, ascending to heaven after his um, uh, crucifixion, etc., and leaving us to get on with the job and then judging us at the end of it all when he comes back. And it, it comes across quite harsh when you read the, uh, the parable of the talents in Matthew. It raises some awfully difficult questions. The master at the end comes across as a pretty horrible chap. And it describes him in ways which I find quite jarring. Uh, he seems greedy because he wants return. So he's given these servants something to work with. One of them hasn't done enough. He's not very happy. And basically, he wants to uh, deliver retribution on them. It also conjures up a, an idea that he left them to it. So there's nothing really that he was going to do except go away, disappear, come back one day with a prophet. Uh, not a prophet as in PH, but FIT, prophet, you understand. So for a long time, and I've been, you know, in the Christian life for oh, 40 years, I guess, I think, nearly, about that. I've always read that parable and moved through it rather quickly and parked some of those things. But more recently, I decided not to do that. So today, what I want to do is ask two reasonable questions, I think, from this parable. What is the talent or the talents that's being talked about in the parable, and how does the parable ultimately relate to us? So I'm going to read the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. I'm going to read from the uh, English Standard Version. It just happens to be the one I like. What comes on screen next will probably be the NIV, the New International Version. 
So it will be slightly different, but very similar. So Matthew 25, 14 to 29 is where we have the parable of the talents. Christ is talking to his disciples at this stage. And he says this, he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to to another he gave one. To each according to his ability. Park that thought, to each according to his ability. Straight away I have some questions. I'm not a servant of Christ. You're not a servant of Christ. I'm a son of God. I'm a brother of Christ or a daughter of Christ amongst you here. Just a thought. That was one thing that springs to mind straight away. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, according to their abilities. What was that all about? Well, again, park that thought for a moment, but let's talk about what a talent is in relation to this scripture. A talent in those days was a unit of measure. And there's various commentaries you'll read, and it'll be a variance between probably 30 and 45 kilos normally of gold or silver. Now, I'm a very, very fortunate person because one Christmas I was given a very, very special present. And the reason it's in this bag you will find out in a moment. This is a gold bar. It's a gold bar. It is half a kilo. How many of these gold bars do you think it would take to make a talent? Hazard a guess? Close. Of this sort, it would be probably about 60, depending on whether or not you thought 30 kilos was the equivalent of a talent of of weight. What a privilege to be given this for Christmas. It's hallmarked. And it has an inscription on the top. Harrods gold bar. Belgian milk chocolate with almond nougat pieces. <laughs> it's not quite worth the £25,000 that a typical gold bar like that would have been. <laughs> I got you, didn't I? <laughs> Actually, it's not full of chocolate anymore. I've eaten that. It's full of rice. <laughs> which is even more worthless. So after this service, don't come after me, it's worthless. (laughs) But to illustrate the talent that was given here is a lot, and there are eight talents given, if my maths is correct. Um, No, it isn't, Graz, is it? It's five talents. Yes, it's right, yeah, five uh, five talents in total. So I beg your pardon, eight talents in total. Now, in other commentaries, you'll also find that the talent is described as approximately 20 years of an average wage for that time. So one talent, 20 years wages. And we've got eight talents here. So this guy, in the parable, is described as a very, very wealthy person. And he's leaving servants with the wealth. Again, Another 
observation here is that we have something in this parable that tells us we have uh, a talent which is of great value. Okay? Something that is of immense value. Again, hold that thought. So let's carry on with the commentary here as we uh, read through Matthew 25. He said, uh, then he went away. So the master goes away. Verse 16, he said, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. Doubled his money. Great. Verse 17, so also he who had the two talents made two two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the house, uh, sorry, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made you five talents more. I've doubled your money. His master said, surprisingly, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master, whatever that might be. And in verse 22, he, also had, uh, he who also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Here we get into the jarring words of what the master was like. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you are, have what's yours. Here's a thought. If I'd have buried a real gold bar in the ground 30 years ago and dug it up, it would have actually increased in value. So he isn't doing too badly as a master, is he? But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I haven't sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So, Take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. And here's the really weird scripture in verse 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now that sounds very, very unfair. In fact, in the world, I say the world, I don't like using that word, in society, let's put it that way, in our, in our secular world, there's something called the Matthew Principle that's taken from this. It was, uh, if you like, stolen, in inverted commas, from a chap called Robert Merton, who was a sociologist. And it's also found in economics too. Um, called something called the uh, Pareto Principle. And it's all about the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Well, they didn't really understand this scripture if that's what they think. And if we think that, we probably don't either. 
So we've read this, and we've all probably read it several times in our Christian lives. How does it make us feel? Does it make us feel like this? We're doomed, as Fraser would say in Dad's Army, speaking of talent in that sense. What talent there was in Dad's Army, wasn't there? Well, in a certain generation think that, don't they? (laughs) Or do we think like this? There's nothing wrong with me, you know, as Captain Mannering might say. So when you go through this parable, if you're thinking of it in the very traditional and obvious sense that perhaps this might be about Christ going to heaven to receive a kingdom, coming back and asking us to make account of what he's left us with, we might feel any one of those two things. We're doomed or, well, fine, I think I've done all right. Well, I would say, and I speak personally as much as I do anything, neither of those views are particularly healthy. Not really. On the one side, we're going to feel condemned, and the Bible says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Square that circle, if you will. And if you're the sort of person who thinks, well, actually, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, fine. What, what have I got to worry about? I think I've done enough I'd say you might be stepping into territory of the Pharisees who thought that salvation was about doing rather than receiving so what I'd like to do is with the thought in mind and with the question in mind what is this talent we're talking about because many would say well and this is not a criticism incidentally of traditional Christian views or anything like that there are easy traps to fall into in the Bible and I think we all do it because we read things quickly and we assume we know it and I've now come to the conclusion after 40 years in the world of church life and Christianity that if I read something in the Bible and it's very obvious to me and I can rush through it I probably don't get it and if I read something and it's really, really uninspiring or frightening or not very encouraging, I probably don't get it either and I need to revisit the passage. So that's what we're going to do here. We're going to go into this a little bit more in Matthew 13. Okay. So if we go back to Matthew 13, and we'll start in Matthew 13 at verse 10, it says this again. Speaking to the disciples, Christ says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The very same verse that was quoted in the parable of the talents. In verse 13 he says, This is why I speak, Christ, to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, and nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. And he goes on to quote 
that prophecy is written in Isaiah. So what we have here is a step into our understanding of what that talent is. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And that secret is now no secret. It's called grace. No longer does the law allow us a route into salvation as it once did or once seemed to be with Israel and ultimately Judah and the Jews today. Now that route is through grace without works. The talents are the secrets of the kingdom of God and that ultimately is the word of grace. Let's pause for a moment and keep context here. Christ came only to speak to the Jews, to the tribe of Judah. There were 12 tribes once upon a time going way back into the annals of the history of Israel. We end up with one called Judah and we know them as the Jews. And when Christ came as a, a Jew, he came to his own, but his own rejected him. So the context of what we read in Matthew in the parables is a context where a message and a, a narrative is being spoken of about a Jewish audience, to a Jewish audience, to his people. But his people received him not. Take a look at one, uh, John 1 in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 9. And it says this, just to emphasize the point with regards to the Jews rejecting Christ, and we all know that, but here it is. John chapter 1 verse 9, the true light, Christ, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, Judah, and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God not servants who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God that's you and me as Christians unfortunately and it was written in scripture in the prophecies of Isaiah always known to happen, the Jews rejected Christ. Now that's no, uh, you know, that's not me giving the Jews a hard time, that's just a fact, okay, that's just the way it is. And in scripture it makes it very clear that the tribe of Judah and the Jewish nation and the Jewish people will one day come back to know their true saviour and king, Jesus Christ. So please don't think that we're writing off an entire people because we're not it's just what's written in the bible i just want to emphasize that christ's message of grace and sonship turned the beliefs of the jews upside down completely they had no idea of sonship in fact they thought it was blasphemous it destroyed what they clung to for salvation which was the law and they remained blind 
to the new covenant truth which we have had revealed to us. So I'd like to just put, point that a, a little bit further in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians um, 3 and starting in verse 4. So 2 Corinthians 3 verse 4. Second Corinthians 3 verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Um, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Make that note, being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit even have more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the law, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it for for if what was being brought to an end the law came with glory much more will what is permanent have glory since we have such a hope we are very bold not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end but their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away yes to this day whenever Moses is read a veil lies over their hearts but when one turns to the Lord the veil is removed now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. It was predestined that the Jewish people would not get it. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it was and it's just the way it is now. And what we need to remember as we go back to our parable of the talents is to remember that context. The parable is a message largely about the Jews and the precious, precious knowledge brought to them by Christ and the fact that most of them didn't believe. So with that context in mind, going back to this strange conclusion in the parable it says this for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away now this is where the crux of the whole thing comes together in our understanding it seems ridiculous to say something like but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. Well, how can you have nothing and then have it taken away? 
it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Not really. Not in the context of what we've just talked about with regards to our Jewish friends and the time that Christ was around. What has happened here is in that sentence, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, what's gone on there? He thought, I say he, they thought they had the route to salvation in the law. They, they had the oracles of God. They kept the oracles of God throughout all of those Old Testament uh, writings and so forth. They clung to that. They knew that was theirs. That was what they had. Christ steps in for crucifixion and it's gone. What they had was suddenly taken away for the better for all of us. Do you get the principle? It's not you know, an obvious thing to, to pick up on. And interestingly, that word not, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, you'll remember this, the Greek word is ouch, O-U-C-H. Unfortunately, the Greek don't pronounce it as ouch, they pronounce it as ook. But that word not is absolutely emphatic. No equivocation. You don't have it unless you have Christ. And it's the same word, same word, ouch, that's used in that earlier verse we looked at in John 1, when it said they received him not. Ouch! Once they had something, now they had nothing. If I could explain it in a different way, it's a bit like you're dying of thirst and all you've got is a glass of salt water. But you don't know it's salt water. If you drink that salt water, you're going to die. But it's water. Why can't I drink it? Because it's salty. That's it. But if you had pure water, you would live. So you have something, but you have not, because it doesn't bring life. And that's where we step into the, if you like, wider understanding of this parable and it becomes less of a parable about, are we doomed, Fraser, or I'm all right, Jack, Captain Mannering, type of situation. With the law comes a different perspective on God. Um, in verse 24 and 25 of the parable, it says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. That word knew can be translated perceived in the Greek. I perceived you. I thought you were a hard man reaping where... He, the, 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 the master didn't say he was a hard man. His other servants didn't say he was a hard man. I perceived you as a hard man. And when Christ, or sorry, when the master uh, repeats that say, those same words back to the servant, he says, you knew that I reap where I haven't sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. But do you know, those two words in the Greek are completely different. 
the first word that the servant utters, which says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, is the word perceived, or can be translated perceived, and it's uh, genosko in Greek. But when the master repeats it back to him, that word knew is a different word called edo in Greek, which can still be um, uh, described as perceived, but it's only ever used in certain past tenses in the Greek. The Greek is a fabulous language. Um, Nick will probably tell you a little bit about Greek because he, he used to live there. I don't know if you speak it, do you, Nick? A little bit. You'll know about it. It's a fabulous, colourful language. So what's happened here is the master has used a word which relates the word new or edo to past tense because the past tense is the law and the new and present tense is the spirit and in salvation it's through grace. So perception is not a reality. In Luke 19, we won't turn there, it's in verse 22, there's a, a, a similar telling of the same parable. It's slightly different, it's in a different time frame. They use minas instead of talents as a, as a measure of weight and the distribution is different. People think it's probably the same principle but told in a different way. And in that particular uh, version of this parable in Luke, it says, the master says, I will condemn you, the servant who was only you know, brought back what he was given, I will condemn you with your own words. So the servant isn't fessing up in this parable to say, I'm a harsh man. He's saying, your perception is that I'm a harsh man, reaping where... I don't sow, etc. And as we develop this a little bit further and come to its obvious conclusion, a little correlation in Deuteronomy 6 is this. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 to 12, it says this, speaking of Israel, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, houses full of all goods that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards that and olive trees that you didn't plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." As we are the new Israel, if you will, Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death and thus we reap where we didn't sow. We take what we have not prepared. Christ has provided it for us. Do you see the correlation in the scripture in Deuteronomy which speaks at the end about being set free Israel was set free from Egypt and as type in the same way in that sense we are set free from sin but this whole parable is suddenly turned around when you take that scripture in and we're not talking about the master reaping where he doesn't sow that was the perception of the unprofitable servant using the term in the Bible that was his perception 
He thought he reaped where he didn't sow, etc. Now it's turned round so that we reap where we didn't sow. Our salvation does not depend on our doing. Our salvation does not depend on our keeping of the law anymore. Our salvation rests in Christ and Christ alone. And that is the conclusion, if you will, of that parable. So take heart. The parable of the talents is a message predominantly to Judah because Christ came to the Jews. Even in scripture, Christ told his disciples, don't go to the Gentiles. You'll find that in Matthew. At that time, in that moment, the message was for Judah. And the context of our parable of the talents is in that sense. Your salvation is sure as sons and daughters, not servants. Made righteous not by works, but by faith in your acceptance of the word. The word is Christ. Let's take a a look as we conclude at Matthew um, 11. Matthew 11, just to emphasize this point, that these talents that we've spoken about are the very truth of God, the very truth of grace that has been brought to us. Precious. And again, if you look up um, in Proverbs, in chapter 8 and 16, if I remember correctly, you will see that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding are more precious than gold and silver. The preciousness of the talent that is spoken of in this parable is the word that's brought to us to set us free. And in Matthew 11, verse 25, it couldn't be put better and it couldn't be more distinct in its um, flip side, if you will, to the harshness of a master that's perceived in the parable of the talents and the loving kindness of Christ in the reality of today. In Matthew 11:25, it says this, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You've been chosen. It's been revealed to you and me. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, not work. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Final slide, Mr. AV man. Merry Christmas, everyone. 
and don't panic. You are free in Christ and your salvation and my salvation is absolutely sure.